Well done, son. I'm delighted. You're taking it seriously. That's good. This is the uh, this is the future. Is it? This is the answer to all of us who don't like wearing the mask because you find it a little claustrophobic. No, no. This. I'd the rather o- be a little claustrophobic. The other added uh, advantage to this is you can't touch your face. Well, you can't touch it with a mask on I either. think this is what we need. No, To thanks. all of those... I'll stick to a mask. Will you? Yes. Yes. It's good, though. Seriously. Is it? No. Brilliant. No. I'll stick to masks. I think. Number of things that we need to get up speed with before we go any further as well. A square slice gate has taken a turn, an interesting turn this morning. You have some to your left. I have. Which proves my point, which is that square slice is not square. No, no. I'm going to do it to that camera over there when we get. What I'm saying is it's called square slice. Mm Now, the, the, a, the confusion if you, came, us, sorry, Andy, if you weren't with us two days ago, this subject came up. I was bemused by it, didn't know what it was. Uh, it's a very um, a, a well thought very of Scottish. Scottish delicacy. Yeah, for breakfast. And I said, square slice, she said, why? And I said, well, it's rectangle. And you started laughing. Yes. And you said, how could it be square Let's if it's have a, a rectangle? It. And then I said yesterday, it's a polygon. It's not quite a rectangle. Because we have made some, and as you can see... Let me hold it, because I can take it nearer to the camera. No, no, I'm just going over here. Okay. As you can see, it is four-sided, not quite square. It's not, it's not, it's not, nothing Not quite like rectangular. No. It's what I would call, is it a polygon? Well, you keep telling And that's that. because the tin it's, it's, it's made in has sloping sides. Right. So, but let me say there are, before I get jumped upon from my Scottish uh, um, uh, compatriots, Depending on the tin you bake it, and you can get rectangular square slice okay. as well. Okay, well, as a non-meat eater, I, it doesn't look particularly powerful It's magnificent, it's by the way. rectangular and or a I polygon. will be having that as soon as the show is finished, my breakfast is done. And we thank McMaster Chef Colin McMaster for his Chef Colin, yes, in, in, absolutely. in bringing that to the programme. Welcome to the Grey Lounge. Um, <laughs> one week today, it's all over as we get ready for a restart in the Premier League. Uh, before we go further, at the time of going to press, all of these stories were uh, accurate, uh, here's the first. Premier League sides will be allowed five substitutes mm-hmm. per game uh, with nine men on the bench. Don't mind that. Returns. Temporarily. That's it. It, it. I thought we were playing on for integrity purposes. No. Lost integrity a long time ago. Well, then why are we bothering to play on? Why don't we just start a new season? because no, we want to play on. You don't, but the rest of the world does. You're, uh, sad, not sadly, thankfully, you're in a minority. This is moment. a subject that we discussed earlier in the series. Cristiano Ronaldo earns 14 million more from Instagram <laughs> than he does from Juventus. <laughs> 14 million more per post, Andy. Oh, my goodness. 971,000 per oh. post on Instagram. In second, oh. second place, Messi. Uh, Kendall Jenner is third. Kylie Jenner, fourth. Uh, Virat Kohli, fifth. Beckham comes in in a very poor sixth. Really? Can you imagine that? No. Uh, this was uh, yesterday no. morning's story um, uh, from, from the newspaper that doesn't get a mention on this program. Yes. Timo Werner's agent tells Chelsea and Manchester United not to waste their time as Liverpool transfer is effectively done. This was flagged up as an exclusive. Um, a couple of hours later, yes. Chelsea swooped for Timo Werner. <laughs> yes, I know. As Liverpool go cold. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is uh, trialling rugby studs to run in because he that. says he gets more grip. Interesting. They're longer. Legal? I don't know. That's my question. Yeah, legal. Don't know. In France, the president of Lyon, Jean-Michel Ola, has slammed the decision to shut the league on April 30th and he's going to court to play on. This bothers me a touch. Tottenham borrowing £175 from the Bank of England to keep going. They're in a mess. And Martin Samuel, um, what are we all trying not to do at the moment? 
keep each other's company. We need to stay safe. You wear a mask if you're traveling on the underground in mm -hmm. the UK. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not meeting in more than groups of six. Mm -hmm. Martin Samuel, Liverpool can look forward to a late night title party if they win the Premier League in either of their first two matches. Mm -hmm. No, Martin, that's what we're all trying to avoid. Is I don't think he meant party. gatherings. I think he meant that, that, that it was the fact that it's at night. The first three games are night kickoffs. Now I don't know if that's deliberate. Would you think it is? The Premier League have made Everton games night time, Palace games night Probably. time, Man City games night time. So I'm thinking, let's take it away from daytime. Let's reduce the effect of maybe people being outside. So let's play it the won't. games at night. It will. It won't. It will. Uh, Andrew Cole, nice piece in the Mirror today. Andy, we spoke to on the yeah. program. Uh, I think last week, Andy, David McDonnell with an exclusive today. Well, <laughs> today's exclusive, David, but he yeah. was talking to us a week ago. I'm fighting, says Coley. It's who I am. He is. Yeah. says if he makes it to 50, he'll yeah. be delighted. I remember sitting with George Best once, spoke to George in uh, the football cafe mm -hmm. that Terry Venables owned in, uh, in London about his 40th birthday. And I said, what's the best thing about being 40, George? And he said, being 40, uh -huh. just getting here. I know. Because I didn't think I would. Um, it's extraordinary. Uh, so Liverpool can have it done by June the 21st, yeah? Yeah, they can. And uh, according to John Cross today, the Premier League clubs believe there is a genuine chance of fans being allowed back into stadiums at the start of next season, as long as they socially distance. I don't know how that works, unless you support a football club that doesn't have too many fans. Mm. I, d I really don't, but, but listen, I hope it does. Listen, Richard, it's very difficult to talk about social distancing oh, when you see the masses of crowds that are going on all over the place. Do you know much about opera? No. No, not me. Madam Butterfly. I wouldn't sit in a room full of opera stars or those that run that business and express my thoughts on how they should. Oh, no. Would you? No, no, definitely So why does not. Oliver Dowden, the culture secretary, keep talking about how to run football? He was in front of a, a select committee yesterday. Um, is, he not, is he not officially in charge of football then? Well, well he's, not, he's not the sports minister, he's the culture secretary. And they, of course, so where is the sports minister when this uh, is all underneath happening? Underneath the culture secretary. Where is he? Probably yeah. self-isolating. But Oliver's <laughs> the man that, that lumps all of, Listen, I'm a great one for the arts, fine. But you can't put football in with opera and, and, and art galleries. and it, It's just not. No, it's, it's different. Not. And so a culture secretary is the wrong person, especially someone that's been... Oh, no, no I'd, I'd better not. What's his latest? Um, uh, he was in front of a, 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 a culture select committee, committee, a select yesterday, committee yesterday uh -huh. talking about, and the question was, one of the prerequisites of the Premier League starting was that money, and we mentioned this yesterday, would flow from the top uh -huh. through the pyramid. Yeah. yeah? Uh, well, that hasn't happened. Um, according to Mr Dowden, at the moment there seems to be no plan, either from football or the government, to help clubs lower down the pyramid that are in trouble. Brilliant, Oliver. Well done, Oliver. Brilliant. Top class. Sensational, eh? Oliver for PM, I think. Oh, Mm. Um, Premier League clubs fear the government's test and trace app could strip them of star players. It's a little complicated, this, but um, the new test and trace rules mean that players may be ordered to self-isolate for 14 days, even if they've produced negative results in their twice-weekly COVID-19 tests. Because, as you know, you can be a carrier and not know. Uh, if any player or coach tests positive for coronavirus, they must give the details of everyone they have been in contact with, including teammates and opposition players. That's why I've said it before. If I'm, oh, a, centre, if I'm a centre forward from set pieces when we restart, I'm coughing, honestly. You can cough all you like, I wouldn't care. You, you're going to stand, knock you're out stand, the and score. You're still going to stand oh, yeah, I would. It, oh, is yes, the, I would. it is then up to the tracing team to decide if the close contact in games or training is enough for people to be potential carriers of the virus. So therefore, you could still run foul of test and trace proposals which would be an issue. And here's another one that we discussed earlier in the season. Greg Clark has gone back on his threat now 
um, to the Premier League that you must, you must have relegation come the end of the season. Well, I, what did I say to you? When he, when he said, look, the Premier League. No chance. Premier League, you said, I think, the Premier League can shut up shop if it wants. Correct. And deny Palace, and deny West Brom and Leeds entry. Correct. And this is what Simon Jordan said. There are 20 shareholders of the Premier League. If they decide that they're not relegating anybody, that's it. Uh, Greg Clark has kind of done a U turn and said, well, if we don't finish the league, I accept that they might not relegate people. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Greg, you don't have any choice. Uh, Um, Now, I, I can't verify this. If it's true, love it. Um, Marcus Rashford in lockdown has started a charity that's raised 20 million yeah, and helped at least 2.8 million children, launched a Christmas box campaign with Selfridges to help Manchester's homeless and learned sign language to judge a poetry competition in a deaf school. No, class. No, top, top, top class. Absolutely top class, Marcus. Yeah, absolutely. Our guest today, um, we, we spoke to early part of the week and, and he probably didn't know he was going to talk to us about Oliver Dowden and um, <laughs> <laughs> Associated Other Matters. Yeah. Well, he's perfect uh, for it. He's absolutely <laughs> perfect for it. He was once one of the top men in the English game. He is the former chief exec of Club England. He is Adrian Bevington, a name known to many as the face of a press conference uh, alongside Kevin Keegan. Uh, Howard yeah. Wilkinson, yeah. Sven Goran Eriksson, yeah. Fabio Capello, yeah. Peter Taylor. Is he responsible Roy for Hudson, all them? All of, well, he's You're not responsible joking. for them, I hope but not. he's responsible for the well-being. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's got his lockdown beard on. <laughs> good morning, mate. Good, good morning, good morning mate. Adrian. Yeah. We're very well, thank you. It's very good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what was coming on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, we don't want to be specific, Adrian, but talk generally about running an organisation like the Football Association and having to sit with government and government ministers who don't necessarily understand the intricacies of the professional game that you represent. I think you've kind of you've highlighted it there. You've, you've got people who are not living and breathing football every working hour, which people at the FA or the Premier League or the Football League are doing. And so, you know, they're getting advice from people within their own organisations on certain key issues. They'll be reading documents. They're obviously aware of what's going on in the news. But they're, not, they're just simply, they're not likely to be fully at the heart of it. As you say, Oliver's not even, the, he's not the direct sports minister. Um, there is a specific individual who is responsible for that. I believe that's Nigel Adams. Um, I think more importantly is how you as an organisation, as a sports body, actually give the government information as to how you're all working together, hopefully, and it hasn't always been the case, um, <laughs> but how you are all working together to try and put a plan. I think you've highlighted yourself that you know the clubs outside of the Premier League, further down the pyramid, blimey, if they don't get some support, mm. in whether it be through coming through the football community, whether it be third party through government funding, whether it be commercial third party funding, we've got a real problem on our hands with our football pyramid because I just don't see how clubs, particularly in League 1 and League 2, will come out of this when you've got no fans going through the gates. That's a massive issue for us. It, 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 well, it is a huge issue, Adrian. Um, but but I, for Oliver Dowden to sit there yesterday and say, mm. listen, well, well we, we sanctioned a restart on the basis that this would happen. But right now, there are no plans from the Premier League or the government. Where do we go then? Well, I don't, I don't think the government can force the Premier League to distribute money. Um, how the Premier League themselves, as you've just said, the shareholders will determine how they redistribute money. Obviously, pressure can be applied to them. I think what we don't, 
what we're not privy to at the moment within the Premier League clubs. And I, like you, I, I speak to lots of people around different clubs. They've got their own financial challenges, whether we like it or not. They might have massive revenue coming in, but they've got huge outgoings going out as well. And they've got to try and find a way through that. But ultimately, um, I think it's three over a three-year period, they bring in over £9 billion in TV rights. Mm. Yeah. If, you, if you've got that revenue coming in, I know they give money to the PFA, about £28 million a year. I know they've put a lot of money into the Football Foundation in partnership with the FA and the government for grassroots football. And obviously they pay a lot out in solidarity payments that go down, particularly through the parachute money, for relegated teams. But in the situation that we're in, if we want to protect the pyramid, we've got to find a way of contributing more from what we have coming into the pot if we want to, if we want to see the league as it is when we come out of this period for, for the years ahead. But I also think we've got to look at, you know, the government have got to decide. I know they're under huge pressure at the moment with the health service and primary challenges because of COVID. But football clubs, as we know, are absolutely at the heart of our communities. Mm. And you take a football club out of a small town or city and you're ripping a big central mm. plank of what what people you know feel part of and it gives people something to look forward to every weekend not everybody's a football fan but a hell of a lot of people are and if you and you know we've seen with Berry, with what's happened there i can go back myself to the 1980s when middlesbrough almost closed yeah. when steve gibson rescued it with ici and I, I can imagine i can only imagine what it would have been like not having a football club at the heart of a community it's so the government have got to think very seriously about how they do that the challenge then is how you manage any funding that goes to the individual clubs to ensure that it is spent correctly. It's almost like a two-tier system now for, for the government, I'm talking about Adrian. I, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why the government should be called in to help any Premier League club with the types of money you've talked about, £9 billion over, what, three years. Championship may be the same, but isn't it the first division and the second division, and even lower than that, that the government might have a responsibility to help. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not... Oh, sorry, Adrian, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I don't want to sound like a, 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 an infamous presenter on ITV now, because <laughs> having asked a question, you deserve an answer. But, but no, the, 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 one of the prerequisites for the Premier League restarting was that they would contribute No, I, don't, I know that. I know that. I'm talking about the government, though. I'm talking well, about the government. I don't think government. the government can, can they, Adrian? More league. Well, there are two things there. There's the Premier League itself, and then there is further down the, the EFL. Let's start with the EFL. Those clubs, League One and League Two, they rely on footfall, whether it be the crowds on a match day primarily, or whether it be the use of their conference, hospitality and banquet facilities that they use during the course of the week on evenings and for events during the day. Without that, they haven't got any revenue coming in, yet they're still having to pay the players' wages. If they haven't got the revenue and they're relying on individual boards or individual wealthy benefactors to keep that flow of money, that, that is not an endless pot of money for those people. No, no. So somehow there has to be support for them, and that's my point. The government could step in. There could be a further supply of money from within football as well. It could be a combination. My point on that would also be, though, that there has to be a really um, careful paper trail of how that money is distributed and what it's spent on so that it's fully accounted for and that's got to be done by an independent body in my in my opinion 
get, getting back to the Premier League and the responsibilities of football, whether it be the FA and the Premier League, to protect the pyramid, as we would call it, um, I still, you know, I don't know exactly the point you're making there, Richard, about what the exact point the government made to allowing the Premier League to continue saying they had to distribute more money down the league. Look, the Premier League is a body in its own right. It does take responsibilities seriously and it brings in huge amounts of money to the government through tax. Let's not forget that. Hundreds of millions of pounds every year. That's a really important point that often is overlooked. So the Premier League plays part. It's also one of our biggest exports mm-hmm. as a as a as a UK. So that it, there, there are a lot of good things that go on that people don't necessarily see, and it's quite apparent if Tottenham are going to the Bank of England, as is reported, for 175 million pounds loan. <laughs> you know, are we are we really expecting them then to be giving money elsewhere if they need to do that? And we can argue that points as to why they might need to do that, but they have just built one of the best stadiums in the world at great expense, I guess. <laughs> Adrian, you weren't there, I know, but what trick was missed when the Premier League was set up that allowed them to run amok, make their own call on everything it is that they do, apart, incidentally, from discipline, discipline which yeah. Richard Scudamore was always happy the FA had to deal with. He didn't want anything to do with that. But, but it's an independent 20 shareholder setup that the FA would appear to have no control over. How did that happen? Well, they don't have any real control over it. I mean, there was a relinquishing of the responsibilities very early on. You know, if you if you read a lot of the books or speak to people who were around those those tables back in back in the day, which was about 1990, 1991, I believe, mm-hmm. when it was taking place. Back you know, I think people were actually idea, surprised man. at how at, at how willing. <laughs> How willing the the FA gave a lot of it away. They were expecting to put more more measures in place, but and then gradually, you know, I joined the FA back in '97, I think it was, and at that point, the Premier League, which has always been a lean organisation, they were based in offices um, at the bottom of Lancaster Gate when the FA was still based there, and then when the FA moved off to Soho Square, the Premier League with Richard Scudamore, who did an unbelievable job for the Premier League, as you say. He's marketed that league. He's managed to to ensure that the 20 clubs have worked more in unity than any other league, major league in world football. Mm. The way that they, they've, they've managed the sort of collective bargaining, the central, the central funding um, through the broadcast revenue so that everybody picks up a a fair pair, a fair part of the the pot, but the FA did relinquish all responsibilities. But as you quite rightly say, they still have to pick up the the regulatory side of it, which is obviously the nasty side of the business. You know, I, I used to I used to love it on a weekend when you know my phone would my phone would start going crazy on a Saturday night or a Sunday with something that happened on the pitch during a. Premier League game, and immediately it was our problem. And what are the FA going to do? <laughs> what are the FA going to do with referees? <laughs> referees are run by the PGMOL, which are based out of the Premier League. But ultimately, it was what are the FA going to do with that lot of ruining the game's referees when you guys were pontificating on a Sunday afternoon? Yeah, 
I was, I was a bit like that. <laughs> a, a very, F, I would be saying the FA's got a responsibility <laughs> to deal with this player, yes. <laughs> just, just one thing. I, yes, on the one hand, Scudamore did a brilliant job. If, if marketing and money is, is, is your god, mm-hmm. I think he's responsible for the mess that football finds itself in now, and he's, he's gone missing. That would be my view. I think well, there are questions think the pandemic's to be asked. Quite responsible. I for, think the pandemic has crystallised the mess, Andy. But mm. the game needed a shake-up one way or yeah, another, maybe it and it's had a real maybe shock. After anyway, 20, 20 question: years. What is, or what was, or how did a hustler from Middlesbrough become one of the most powerful men in English a football? A hustler? Yes. Was he? Yes, that's the school he went to. I wasn't. Casting oh, judgment on his character. It's, it's very true. true. It's, the, it's the, very, very true. Yes. <laughs> it's very appropriate. Uh, it's a, it's a, great, a great school in Middlesbrough. Great footballing school, I might add. <laughs> what happened to you then? I was going to say, you watched the <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those ones that was just that bit short, Andy, as you know. So I'm taking it you weren't first picking the playground then, Adrian. <laughs> He nearly became a ref. No! <laughs> I've worn it just for you guys. Hey, listen. I played for Middlesbrough School Boys. He's got the black on. When they actually... When they actually the Middlesbrough School Boys won the English Schools Trophy in my year. Yeah? I was on the bench. Let's get serious again. Answer the question. How on earth did that happen? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I became one of the most... Powerful people, but I worked at yeah, Borough yeah. for a few years when, when Robbo was the manager, when Steve was building the stadium. Brilliant times. And when we had all of the period of Ravenelli and Janino, um, oh, Emerson, goodness, who gave you guys a bit of entertainment on and off oh, yeah. the pitch. Um, and I, I, I applied for a job in the old fashioned way. An advert was in the Guardian, the media section, which was the Bible, as you will know, Richard, for a lot of media jobs during that Absolutely. period. Absolutely, yes, yes, very much so. And I applied, and the great David Davis, who's known to us all, he interviewed oh. me a couple of times, and uh, somehow I managed to get a gig and started off pretty low um, and managed to survive longer than David did, actually. Yeah, um, yes, yeah. Say, by the way, you're, you're, that makes you unique because David has outstayed... Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> so you're the first person I met that's lasted longer than David Davis anywhere. <laughs> of, all the, of all the managers you work with, of all, well, of all the managers you work with, Adrian... Of course you did. And listen, we're all, we're all envious because yeah. we would have quite liked to as well. But of all the managers you work with... Who was your favourite? Stan. Why? He was, he was a mercurial guy, and for all of the chaos that was apparently going on <laughs> in, his, in his wider life, he, yes. he never, ever got, or very, very rarely got flustered by anything. And look, I, I used to get phone calls <clears throat> on a far too frequent basis where, <clears throat> excuse me, Saturday afternoon, you know, um, a, new, a newspaper would ring from the front front, front of the book. Um, can you confirm this about Sven? Did he meet with X person um, on whatever day? And I'm like, oh. so I ring. I would frequently then have to ring Sven, who, you know, depending on if it was if it was out of season. He, he would then Nancy might take a call, and then suddenly Sven would say, oh, "I'll call you back," and then. Uh, 
He'd be at the back end of his garden, that would be the water feature. And I'm like, Hello, Adrian. And I'm saying, saying uh, look, there's a lady, uh, the, 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 the Sunday newspapers are saying that you uh, may have uh, no, no particular lady. Do you want me to say, no, 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 no comment on that. Or, or the following week, it might be, absolutely not. No, 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 no. So that was code for me that I could definitely kill a story if it was absolutely not. If it was a no, 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 I best leave it alone. Was my kind of approach. <laughs> but as, as a guy, than that, sorry, go on. As a, as a guy, you know, on the, on the football side of it, I think. Look, did the team achieve as much as it perhaps could have done? I think we'd always say no because of the players that we had at our disposal. Mm. But he was a really good manager of star players. He had that at Lazio. He had it at Sampdoria. He had it with that generous place. And in the main, most of those players liked playing for him because his manner with them, he gave them the air to breathe. He let them be individuals and he had their back. Even though he was never going to be the person who's going to be going into battle outrageously on different things, they knew that he would support them and he always did. And the only time I ever really saw him loses cool was when we had the period Mark Palios was the chief exec and we'd had that situation where I think Nicky Butt was excluded for some off-field incident and then Alan Smith got called in but there was an incident going on where he'd thrown a water bottle into the crowd and then should he be withdrawn and James Beatty there was, there was yes, what's going on? what was going on yeah, exactly terrible. who was in and, lack of and, discipline lack of discipline yeah this was all through club matters Sven, <laughs> Sven, Sven was in his room that night we were in the Lowry and I got a call from Todd Grit and Todd said uh, please can you come and see Sven he'd had, a, he'd had a couple of glasses of red wine he was in fiery form by Sven standards and he was what is going on and he was like it was the only time I ever really saw him lose his cool because he he just wanted to get on with managing a football team and, 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 and enjoying his life outside of it. You know, he's, but from, from my point of view, he was just so easy to work with, a really nice, easy person to work with, and fun. It's got to be a last question, Adrian, and I wish we had more time, but how, disadvan- how disadvantageous was it yeah. that Capello couldn't speak English? I think it was a big problem. Uh, I... I I looked at the way that Fabio, I spent a lot of time with him privately, traveling to games, and on a one-on-one small basis, he, he was really, really great to deal with. You could see the respect the players had for him, and those first 18 months, the impact he made was absolutely sensational. It just seemed to all come apart in South Africa for various reasons. I think actually because we didn't put the Americans away in the first game when we'd gone ahead was the biggest problem that put built the pressure up. But the language barrier, I do believe, was a problem because I don't think Fabio could ever be quite as effective a man and a man-manager as he had been with his great teams with Milan and Madrid because of that. Uh, thank you very much, Adrian. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, if, if, uh, for, for those in a wider audience, if you have a media issue or a football issue you want to discuss with someone that knows what they're talking about. Adrian Bevington is your man. Yes. Adrian Bevington and Sports. He, he promises me he'll be shaven when that time comes. I, I, yeah, absolutely, Andrew. <laughs> 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 Great to see you. Adrian. Adrian, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Uh, literally, Andy, no time at all. Enjoy your square slice. And, thank you, Richard. And your, your roll in sausage. Just about to do that now. We will see you tomorrow. Stay safe.